So Gen, uh, just I'm saying Genesis, Revelation chapter three. It's cool. We're we're, we're uh, halfway through. Uh, we're, as you guys remember, and chapter two and chapter three, the Lord is addressing seven churches in Asia Minor, and uh, we've covered three of them already. We've covered uh, his address to the church there in Ephesus, to the church in Smyrna, uh, to the church in, in Pergamos. And then, uh, and also to the church in Thyatira. And this morning, we're going to cover Jesus' address to the church in in Sardis. You know, and we see what we're going to see what the Lord has to say to this church here in Sardis. And you guys recall, we've been mentioning how again the Lord uh, is addressing seven specific churches, but the message is for all the church as a whole, right? And there's different things that we could just glean from every single one of these addresses and what the Lord says to every single one of these churches there in Asia Minor. We could apply it to our lives, maybe at the moment, maybe in the past, maybe you know things that we're going to go through um, in our walks further down with the Lord. And so we see that 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 it wasn't just for these specific seven churches, but it's for the church as a whole. And so this morning. Uh, we're starting Revelation chapter 3 and we're going to see his address now to the church uh, in the city of Sardis. And it starts off by saying this in verse 1. It says, And to the angel of the Lord, uh, sorry, and to the angel in the church of Sardis write and say, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you are dead. And it says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. And we'll stop right there. And so he's addressing now uh, the, 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 the church here in the city of Sardis. And so if you look at your Bible, there's like three pages of just nothing but red words. And that's all Jesus' words. Right? So this is Jesus speaking. And so Jesus speaking, he's, he's telling, he's a, he's telling a John, you know, as John is the one who's receiving this message. And he says, all right, John, he says, right now to the angel of the church in Sardis and say, and tell him these things says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And this is Jesus address, uh, talking about himself, right? Now the city Sardis, the ancient city of Sardis, I should say, you know, was, was a city of Asia Minor. It was once a strong, ancient, you know, fortified city. Uh, it, it was actually destroyed by an earthquake and, and rebuilt in 17 AD by the Roman Emperor Tiberius. Uh, it later became the, the capital of Lydia. And then uh, history tells us that the city, the city was completely destroyed in 1402. Uh, and now, now like, much like the, like the other cities, much of the other cities, they exist nowadays, but under different names. This city, Sardis, it's in ruins. It's in complete ruins. There's like a little town built on top of the ruins. I forgot the name of it, but it's there in the area of Turkey. Uh, but but the city, the ancient city Sardis, is is uh, is no more. It's completely it, it was it was completely destroyed in 1402. And, but we see that this city again. It was a fortified. It was a strong city. It had a uh, huge walls around it. It was considered uh, impregnable. I mean, there was no way uh, an army could get through it. I mean. Ideally, you know, there was no way that an army could get through it. We, uh, history tells us that it was actually conquered twice. Uh, and, and it wasn't because the walls weren't high. It wasn't because the walls weren't strong. It wasn't because the defense wasn't good. But it was because, uh, what we get into later on, but it was actually because the soldiers got too confident. You know, and, and, and they, they began to, to, to trust in the, in, the, in, in, the, in the confidence of the cities, right, and of the walls. And, and as a result, the enemies came in. And so the, the city... Sardis. There was a church there in the city of Sardis. And so the, the Lord is, is writing, he's addressing this church there in Sardis. And he says, uh, this says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. As we mentioned again, you know, when the Lord says, you know, the seven spirits, uh, we, we know that, 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 the, that the number seven is representative of God's perfect, complete, full work. 
And so it's not that God has seven spirits, you know, floating around his throne. It's not that God, that, that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in seven different spirits. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of teachings that, there's a lot of people that are teaching that, you know, but it's, 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 uh, it's inaccurate. And so really what that means, you know, again, the number seven being symbolic of just God's complete, perfect work. You know, it's like Jesus saying, uh, you know, he has the fullness of the Holy Spirit and he's able to give it to this church in Sardis and he's able to give it to any church, really, you know, any believer. And so it's speaking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When it says the seven spirits, it's talking about the it's representative of just the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right? There in the chapter one of, of the book Revelation, Revelation 120, uh, it says the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. And so as Jesus is addressing this church, he says, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now you may be thinking, now well, what's the seven stars about? Right? Well, Jesus himself gives us the definition of what, of what this means, right? And of what the symbolism is. And he says that he told us that, that these seven stars represent uh, the seven angels of the seven churches. That word angels means, uh, means messengers, angelos and in Greek, it means messenger. And so really he's addressing the seven overseers of these churches, the seven leaders of these churches, the seven representatives of these churches. We would call them the pastors, you know, the seven pastors of these churches. And so we see that Jesus is speaking to the entire church, right? The seven stars, the seven, the, the seven spirits, so the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of just the messengers of his complete church. And so Jesus is addressing, he's, a, he's speaking to the entire church through his address to these specific seven churches. And he tells this specific church, he says, I know your works. He says that you have a name, that you're alive, but really you're dead. And so that's not something that, you, that, that we want to hear from the Lord. Hey, man, you look like you're alive, but you're really just dead. Right? So it wasn't something encouraging that, that, this, that this church is going to hear. Uh, out of all these churches, this is actually the only church that Jesus addresses here in, this, in, 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 this, uh, in these few chapters. That he doesn't say anything good to him. It's all kind of just bad stuff. Right or ne- negative things like, hey man, no, I know your works. He says you have a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. And so the church here at Sardis, they had a good reputation. Uh, they had they had an awesome reputation. Outwardly, uh, outwardly they looked alive. Right, that's what Jesus said. Hey man, you guys look like you're alive. You have a name like you're alive. Outwardly, everything seemed right. Uh, they were doing all the right things. They, they you know, that, that, that a healthy a healthy church should be doing. And so outwardly, everything looked fine. Right, it looked like there was life in this church. But Jesus says, but inwardly, Jesus says, you're really dead, right? And so uh, it's important to, 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 to notice you know, that, that what we do and who we are are two very different things. This church was doing a lot of good stuff. They outwardly, you know, again, it was, they were doing all the right things. But inwardly, they were, they, they, they were dead. And so what we do and who we are are two very, very different things, right? And that's what we're going to see here with this church specifically. And so... We see that though they were doing a lot in the name of the Lord, inwardly they were dead and Jesus knew it, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing because these guys probably didn't even know it. They probably were just so caught up in doing, doing, doing that they're like, man, we're, we're doing the right thing. We're alive, we're good, we're active. They were doing all these things and yet they didn't realize that, the, that inwardly they were just dead. And Jesus had to bring it up to him. He says, hey man, he says, I know you guys. I know that inwardly you're dead, right? But sometimes we can mistake what we do for God and our relationship with God as the same thing. And we think, oh man, because we're doing all these things, right? That means our relationship with God is right. Yes and no, right? I mean, we know that that, that works. You know, things that we do outwardly stem out of our relationship with God, right? But we don't do it in order to have a relationship with God. And so we, we, we see that, that, that these two, they shouldn't be, this, you know, there's the two separate things. Doing for God isn't the same as, as, knowing, as knowing God. 
right? And so these outreaches, these uh, evangelism, these church events are all great things. They're amazing things. They're awesome things. It's things that, 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 that we love to do. It's things that I love to do, right? But they're no substitute for an intimate relationship with God. I mean, me going out there and evangelizing, you know, a few hours a day, or me, you know, uh, putting on these events, or me putting on whatever, it's not a substitute for my relationship with God, right? Even, I, I would even go as far to say, hey, me, me studying to, to, to teach a Bible study on Sundays and Wednesdays is not a substitute for my relationship with God. You know, that's something that I have to constantly be reminded of, because, you know, you guys know during the week, I work and then uh, I also, you know, I, I do my best to, 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 to be studied up, to be, to be read up, to get all the information. So I give you guys a good Bible study on, on Wednesdays and Sunday nights. But, and I could easily say, all right, well, look, I'm spending time in the Word, preparing for the study, this and that, so I'm good with God, right? But no, you know, that's something that the Lord is checking in my heart. That, hey man, me studying to get to Bible studies is not the same as me spending time with God, right? And so I have to find the time to spend time uh, with the Lord for myself, Right? That's what I do early in the morning. As I, I, I get up early in the morning, I'm like, all right, Lord, this is just me and you right now. Not me and you and Liz, not me and you in the church, not me and you and whatever. It's, Lord, this is just me and you right now. Right? Because I, I can't, anything I do for God is not a substitute for my relationship, my intimate time with the Lord. And so we see that, that this church here, you know, they were doing a lot of great things. You know, but it wasn't a substitute for their, inti- their intimate relationship with God. And, and, and the Lord points that, out, points that out to them. Not because he's trying to call them out. Not because he's trying to shame them. Not because he's trying to come down hard on them. But because he loves them. Right? He loves the church. He loves you and I. And if he brings this stuff up in our lives, it's because he wants to edify us. He wants to exhort us. He wants to grow us. He wants to, you know, uh, correct us in order to draw us closer to himself. Right? As I was reading this, and I was kind of studying for this. I, I, you know, I was reminded of just, you know, of the way I grew up. And the way I grew up, you know, my parents split up when I was, when I was young. And my dad was uh, maybe like a once a week or once every couple of weeks, McDonald's for two hours. Dad, you know, he would stop sometimes during the week and just drop off some groceries, you know, four or five bags of groceries. It's all, it was all junk food, you know, things that we loved. But he was never there. He, I can say that, you know, he was never there when I got in trouble at school and the cops, the cops were calling me you know, home or trying to get a hold of my parents. He was never there when I needed counsel, when I needed guidance, when I needed anything. Right, and so he thought that he was that 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 he could substitute hey, amen a few bucks a week and you know whatever whatever time you know week that he could substitute that for being a father and we see that that that's, it, it wasn't so right that what what I needed at that time was a father right and and his uh, even you know whatever he did during the week you know the few, those few bucks or you know the few bags of groceries or whatever it didn't substitute for that intimate relationship right and so. Uh, similar, you know, again, to, to our relationship with the Lord. It's like, we could do all kinds of things. All right, Lord, I did my deed, went to church, gave, my, gave some money, did this, whatever, right? Help feed the home, uh, help feed the homeless. Like, Lord, that's it, we're good. <laughs> but God, you know, God wants, us, God wants to know us apart from all those things. He wants to know us just, hey, man, just, just us and Him. And he, he says, I want to just spend time with you. I want to just know you. I want to just, you know, build you up. I want to just have that intimate time with you, right? And that's what He's more concerned about. Right, just building us up on the inside and drawing us closer to himself. Right? And so we see at the church that Sardis had the had they had that good reputation. You know, they had the calendar full of events. You know, you look at the calendar, they man, they got something going on every week, almost every you know, every day. It's like full of events, full of stuff, full of, you know, ministry, you could say. Right? But inwardly they were spiritually dead. Right? And so the Lord tells them, He says, Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain, the things that are ready to die. And so though they were dead, there was still hope. <laughs> I love that about the Lord. 
Because it's the Lord who can bring beauty out of ashes, like the Bible says. God's the only one who can, who can make something, make everything out of nothing. You know, God can bring life where there is no life. God can bring life out of death, right? And God can bring hope where there's hopelessness. And so he says, hey, man, this church that thinks that they're alive, but they're really dead. He says, they're really dead, but, I, but actually there's still hope. And he says, those little things that remain, those few things that remain, he says, strengthen those things. I love that. I love that. Why? Because, again, though they were, though they were already dead, there was still hope. You know, and, and, and there still remains some good things that they could salvage. And we know that God is in the business of salvaging. God is in the business of recycling. You know, he's the ultimate recycler. He can just make so much out of, out of so little in our personal lives. And um, in our walks with the Lord, you know, in our walks with God, if we found that we've drifted far, uh, it's easy to look back at our lives and think, oh man, well, a couple years ago, I was like on fire for God. A couple years ago, I was doing all this. A couple years ago, man, the first thing I did when I woke up, I would worship God. Thank God. Spend time with him in the morning. I used to be able to hear him so clearly. He would say, turn over here. I go over here. I run into somebody. All these things, right? That we could, that we could think back on and think, man, I was, I was so on fire back then. And then we compare our lives or our walks now and think, man, I'll never get to where I used to be. Right, and we could easily get get a just just bring ourselves down by, by thinking that way. But you know, we, the Lord didn't say, "Hey, bring bring back to life all those things." You know, do all those things that you were doing. No, He says, "Hey, focus on the little things that still remain, and, and just strengthen those things." And I love that about the Lord. You know, He's not trying to put all these burdens on us. He says, "Well, what do you have left?" Oh, Lord, I have this, this, and maybe even this. He's like, "All right, focus on that." He says, those little things, the few things that, that, that remain that, that still aren't dead, but they're dying. He says, hey man, just start, just start pouring into those. Like, all right, Lord. And so don't be discouraged if you're not where you used to be, you know, or if you're not as close to God as you used to be, or if you're not doing as many things, or you're not as close to God again. God, God's not telling you to, to be back there. He's saying, whatever you have now, he says, pour into those things. Worry about just growing those things. And so that's what he tells his church. He says, those few things that remain, he says, strengthen those things, right? And so... We see that, that actually that the church of Sardis, they were living off of, uh, off of past accomplishments. You know, they were known for their past victories. Uh, they had, again, this reputation that they were alive because of everything that they had done. But inwardly, they were dead. And now, those things are great, you know, but we can't depend on those things to carry us through our walks. For me, myself, you know, I'll put myself on the spotlight. <laughs> you know, my mission trips, my, uh, you know, all these crazy endeavors, all these crazy encounters. Even this past Wednesday, even yesterday, me and Liz had an awesome encounter at the mall yesterday with, with, this, with this young guy, and it was just amazing. But I can't, I can't live off of that fuel. Right? I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't walk the rest of my walk with the Lord on, on, on yesterday's fire. It's like the Lord is trying to do something new in us today, every single day. Right? The Lord is always desiring to do something new in us as we just continually walk with Him. He's like, hey, right. He says, that was awesome. Because that was awesome what happened Wednesday. That was awesome what happened yesterday. That was awesome what happened this morning. But... I want to do something with you right now. I want to, I want to show you something new today. I want, to show, I want to show you something new tomorrow, right? And so that's what the Lord is always desiring to do in our lives. You know, it's not that, that, that we're, to, we're not to live off of these past victories, off this past fuel, off this past flame, right? I, uh, I, I've heard this example, you know, of the star. Uh, one of the clo- there's a lot of close stars to us. You know, but one of the closest stars in, in our solar system is a, is, a, is, a car, is a star called the, the Alpha Centauri. It's 4.367 light years away from us, uh, which means that it'll take about four and a half years for its light to reach us. I Meaning that this star could have burned out like three years ago and we're gonna, we're not, we won't know until next year, right? And, but, 
but I mean, it, 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 sometimes, you know, the, the, we, we could be like that. And the church of Sardis was like that. That they were, man, they were living off their past brightness, right? Off their past glories. And we could, we could be like that sometimes too. We're like, oh man, five years ago I used to do this. And hey man, uh, last year I was like this. I was like that. I was on fire. I shared with this many people. I used to go uh, after church and evangelize. And it's like, oh man, God, God wants you. God, God wants to, 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 you know, to, to just instill in you something new. There's this worship song by, I believe the guy's name is Will Reagan. Uh, he says, you know, help me find my own flame. Help me find my own fire. He says, uh, I want nothing else but, you know, you're what I desire. But he, he, and, he's, and that's the whole song. He just keeps on saying that over and over. Help me find, you know, a new flame. Help me find a new fire. And, and, and man, that's been like my heart's song, you know, these past few months. Lord, help me just find a new flame for you, Lord. Help me find a new, help me flame, uh, find a new fire. I want, I, want, I want you to do something new in my life. Right? I don't want to live off of yesterday's victories. I don't want to live off of last year's memories. But this was the church that Jesus was addressing. You know, they were burnt out a long time ago, but yet, you know, they were known for their reputation. That's what they were living off of, just their reputation. Right? And so it goes on to say there in verse 3, it says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And verse 4 says, You have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And so we see now Jesus' instructions to, to the church. And he says three things. He says, remember. He says, hold fast. And he says, repent. Remember, hold fast, and repent. You ask him, remember what? Or well, remember how you have received and heard. Receiving her what he says, hey, the gospel. What he's telling him is like, hey, man, remember how it was, you know, when, when, when you first got saved. Remember how it was when you first just started drying clothes. You started feeling just like, man, the warm fuzzies. And it's like you would feel God's love around you no matter where you went. And you just, it's like you, you saw evidence of God everywhere. It's like everything just seemed fresh and new and exciting. He's telling the church, hey, man, remember those days. He says, remember those days. Hold, hold fast to those things. Hold on to those things. He says, and repent. Right? Meaning, remember your journey. Recall your testimony. Remember what God did in your life to bring you to this place of just knowing Him. He says, hey, keep it fresh. Pretty much what He's saying is, keep it fresh. You know, he says, let's keep this relationship fresh. Says, what God did for you in the beginning, He wants to do for you today. And He's able to. Right? God is able to rekindle those flames. God, God is able to, 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 flan, to, to fan that flame. Right? And to just, and to just spark something new. And, and God is always desiring to do something new in us. And then he tells them, and be watchful. He says, or I'll come upon you as a thief in the night. Meaning, hey man, I'm going to catch you off guard. He says, be watchful, you know, or else I'm going to catch you off guard. I'm going to catch you unexpectedly. Now, for the church at Sardis, you know, who, who he's addressing, uh, when they heard this, you know, it would have automatically like, triggered something in their minds, in their thoughts, in their remembrance. Because uh, this had historical significance to the church at Sardis, because of, of some past defeats that the city of Sardis had experienced. And so as soon as they heard, hey man, be watchful, or I'm going to come upon you like a thief in the night. Or, you know, I'm going to come upon you unexpectedly. Automatically, this light bulb would have went on. History tells us that, that the city, the city of Sardis, with its high walls, its uh, strong defenses, uh, had actually been conquered twice in the past because of its overconfidence and failure to remain watchful. Again, they had an awesome wall that was surrounding the city. It was considered impregnable. It's like, man, there was no way anybody could get through these walls, right? And, and, they, and they, they took pride in that. They took confidence in that. They were actually overconfident in that fact. So much so that they got invaded twice. 
uh, once was by King Cyrus. And uh, King Cyrus, he came to the city of Sardis, and, and there seemed to be no way to climb the steep cliff that was surrounding the walls. So apart from these huge walls, huge thick walls, there was just this huge cliff that was just you know surrounding the walls like this. So it was like impossible to get even close to the walls before getting killed, right? And so King Cyrus, as he's as he's just kind of just scoping out the city, scoping out the walls, the defenses, uh, he offered a, a reward to to any soldier, you know, in his army who could figure out a way to get up to the city. And so you could imagine these guys, you know, they're they're just they're, they're just camping outside outside the city walls. They're camping out in the outskirts. And they're just looking all, all day and night. They're, they're waiting for an opportunity. They're looking for a weak point. They're looking for a crack in the wall. They're looking for a hidden ladder somewhere. They're, they're looking for a way to get into the city because not only you know, is it going to benefit their army, but they're going to receive great riches. They're going to become rich, man. Their whole family was going to be taken care of. And so King Cyrus offered a, a reward to any soldier who would, who would find a way into the city. And so these guys were, were, were watching the, the city day and night. And one day... Uh, one soldier, you know, he studied, he studied the wall carefully. And, and, and as he looked, he saw, he saw a soldier from Sardis up in the wall. And, and he saw him and he was just watching him, you know, as he was just kind of dozing off, dozing off. And history tells us that this guy, you know, he, he watched this guy and he dozed off. And as he dozed off and his head nodded, his helmet fell off. And as his helmet fell off and, and it went down, it, it fell on the outside of the wall. This soldier for the, for the Medo-Persian army... He, he watched his soldier as he, as he went down this like, little, little hidden, uh, hidden walkway down the wall. And he watched him from a distance. He's like, oh, man, look at this guy. He's climbing down the wall. He's going down there. He grabbed his helmet. He went back up. He's like, aha, that's it, man. There's that little hidden pathway up to the wall. And so what this guy did, he went back to the army. He got all these troops. They all came back later on that same night. And they, and they invaded the city through that, through, through that wall. And when they got into the city, they found all these soldiers asleep. Right? Why? Because they had gotten overconfident in the, in the strength of these walls. They got so confident that the enemies came up on them like a thief in the night. And so Jesus is writing to me. He says, hey man, he says, be watchful. He says, be watchful or else, or else I'm going to come upon you like a thief in the night. Meaning, I'm going to catch you off guard. Now, this didn't happen just once, but it happened again under, um, under, under Antiochus. Under Antiochus Epiphanes. This happened a second time where almost the exact same thing. You know, there was the soldiers up on top watching. Uh, one soldier was just caught off guard. He let his guard down. He, and he gave away like a, the, the tell to the city, you know, and, and, he, and he gave away the weak point of the city. And again, man, these, these, these soldiers that were with Antiochus Epiphanes were able to just overtake the city. So they were caught off guard twice, right? They were caught not being watchful twice. They, they, they came, they were come up on like as a thief in the night twice. And so now Jesus is addressing the city. He's addressing the church from this city. He's saying, hey man, be watchful or I'm going to come upon you like a thief in the night unexpectedly. Automatically without, oh, that's it, man. You know, it would have triggered something in them to think, man, we've been too confident in our own strength. We've been too confident in our past victories. We've been too confident, you know, in our past glories. We can't, we can't be doing that, right? And we too, man, for us as believers, for us as, as believers in the Lord, for us as Christians, the, we're instructed, the Bible instructs us you know, to be watchful in our walks with the Lord. The Bible uses those words, hey, be watchful, right? There in 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter writes and he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. 
He says, hey man, we gotta be watchful, we gotta be vigilant, right? Like, a, like, a, like an animal there in the forest, right? Like in the safari, we gotta just be on the lookout at all times. Why? Because Satan, our adversary, is just, he's like a lion, man, just prowling. You know, if, you, if you've studied or watched any of those nature shows, me and Liz have been binging on, we got a free Netflix, so we're binging on all these animal shows, right? And so we love to watch the safari, the, the, the big cats, you know, the lions and the jaguars, like, we, we love that. And so I just, I just trip out on how they hunt. Where they'll, they'll stay, you know, behind the grass for hours and hours and hours without moving until they finally get their, 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 their chance and boom, they pounce. And so Peter says, hey man, be watchful, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, he's like that lion, man, who, he'll stay right there in that one, in that one spot for hours until he, until he finds his, his opportunity and boom, he'll, bound, he'll, he'll pounce. You know, he's seeking whom he may devour. Matthew, in the book, of, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus uh, speaking to his disciples, he says there in Matthew 24, 44, he says, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at, a, at an hour which you do not expect. All right, so, and so the Bible encourages us as believers to be watchful, you know, at all times. Now, the sin of Sardis, you know, wasn't so much that they were, uh, you know, living off of past glories, wasn't so much all these things. But the sin of Sardis was, uh, was, was complacency. You know, they got too comfortable. They got too comfortable in their past glories. Not that they were living off of that, like that was bad, but they got too comfortable, you know, in their past glories. They got too comfortable in their past victories. They got too, too comfortable in, in all these past endeavors that have, you know, gone successfully. And they thought, hey, man, well, look, we're, we've done a lot of good things for God. We're good, right? But it was more than that. And so the Lord writes to him and he says, but look, he says, I, there's still a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. Meaning that among the church who was dead, he says, there's still, amen, there's still a remnant. You know, there's still a few. Among the, the complacent church in Sardis, there were still a few who had remained faithful and did not fall into the same sin of complacency. And I, I love that because there's always going to be some good among the bad. Right? It's easy to look at the whole world. It's, look, it's easy to look at the church as a whole. It's easy to look at society as a whole and think, man, it's all bad. It's all bad. Right? But then you know, we see that the Lord has his like, soldiers everywhere. And even in the places where, where we couldn't imagine, like, ah, there's no way there's any type of good in there. There's no way there's any type of good influencer. And all of a sudden, man, you know, something sprouts up, someone sprouts up, someone makes themselves known. I'm like, all right, cool, Lord. And there's always that, that good within the bad. And so here in the Church of Sardis, the Lord says, there's still a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. You know, there's still some guys who are still holding on strong. And he says there in verse 5, he says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess him. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And verse six says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And so he says, he who overcomes will be clothed with white garments and with, with, with white garments. Speaking of the newness of life that Christ offers to those who walk with them. He says, hey man, he who overcomes... He's going to be clothed with, with white garments. You know, it's, again, talking just about that purity, you know, that, that, that innocence, just that, that righteousness that comes through just believing in Jesus. Nothing else. Right? He's telling me, hey, man, stir up those old works. You know, stir up that, that, that old fire. He says, do something new. And really that something new is just, hey, rekindle that belief in me. Right? Make it fresh again. And so he says, to him who does that, you know, he's going to be clothed in, in, in white garments, meaning he's going to have, you know, that, that righteousness that Christ has to offer. Now, the Bible teaches us that when we surrender to the Lord and when we, when we allow Him to govern our lives, you know, when we believe that, that what He did on the cross, 
you know, was for us and we receive it as our own. The Bible says that, that God looks at us not for our unrighteousness and not for what we've done in the past and for all the times we messed up. Even if we're already believers, we're going to continue to mess up. That's just the, the, the matter, the, the, the fact of the matter, you know, that we're not perfect. You know, we're going to continue to mess up until, man, we're not going to be perfect until we're in heaven with the Lord. And so don't beat yourself up. You think, man, I've been messing up. Man, I feel like this church, I've been messing up. I've been dead, right? Hey, if you're a believer in the Lord, the Bible teaches us that, that the moment we believe in Jesus and what he did for us, that we're clothed with, with these white garments, right? The Lord has made us new. The Lord has forgiven us. The Lord has now clothed us with his righteousness, with the righteousness of his son. And so that's what the Bible teaches, you know, for anybody who overcomes. And he goes on to tell him, he says, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now, I want to go a little deep into this, you know, because there's all kinds of uh, just, you know, thought, different thoughts surrounding this specific verse and just this thought, right? But it's important to understand the, the context, you know, of, of here, of what's going on here at the city of Sardis and here in the first century where, where Jesus is addressing this church. In, in the ancient city of Sardis and many other ancient cities, but, but specifically in this ancient city of Sardis, uh, the city kept this, this, this register of, of all their citizens. Right? So everyone who was born, everyone who lived there, they kept this register, the, a, a book of names of, of everybody who lived in the city. When a person would die, they would blot out the name of this, of this person from the book. All right, so-and-so doesn't live here anymore. He's actually dead. Boom. Or when somebody would commit this like heinous crime where it was just, and they just disowned him. You know, they would, they would blot out his name and they would actually revoke his citizenship from the city. And so they would blot out his name from the book. And Jesus is saying, hey, he, to he who overcomes, he's going to be clothed with white garments. He says, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. It's not just, so, so Jesus is using this, this, this culturally, you know, this, this cultural practice there in Sardis. And he's applying it now to the spiritual to get a point across. He's saying, U.S. citizens of Sardis, U.S. citizens of the city. He's like, you guys could die, you guys can mess up, and your name's going to be blotted out. He says, but if you overcome, he says, man, you can be assured that your name will never be blotted out from the book of life. Not the book of citizens, but the book of, of life. You know, heaven's book. Now, Jesus promised, you know, it, it's, it's meant to be an encouragement, right? Many, many people take this verse and they take it as like something negative. Oh, you got to be careful because God's going to blot out your name from the book of life and you mess up. Right? And, and sometimes we have this notion of just like, oh man, God's just waiting for us to mess up or we got to be walking on, uh, on eggshells or else, you know, God's going to blot our name from the book of life. But the Bible does talk about a book of life. Later on in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation twenty twelve, you know, John speaking, he says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and another book was open. He says, there was a lot of books open, he says, but then one book was open, he says, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which, which were written in the books. And then in verse 15, he says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so the Bible does talk about a book of life. And it's the same book that, that Jesus is referring to here. And the Bible tells us that the book of life is a book in which is written uh, all the names of God's redeemed people. You know, throughout the history of the world. Every single person who was ever uh, placed their faith in Jesus and is going to place their faith in Jesus, their names are written in this book. God is sovereign, man. He knows all things. He knows who's going to reject them. He knows who's going to accept them. He's, he, knows who's, he knows everything. He's sovereign. And so the Bible tells us that, that our names are written in his book, which is amazing, you know, <laughs> because that means that God had our names written before even the foundations of the world, 
know, he knew, hey man, so and so is gonna be here at the church at this day, you know, and he's like, oh, man, so and so is gonna know me. I'm gonna, you know, I, they, they, I'm gonna have a relationship with them. You know, I'm gonna draw close to them. I'm gonna minister to them. I'm gonna, you know, love on them. All these things. That that in itself was amazing. And so this is meant as an encouragement, you know, to the people of Sardis. It wasn't a threat. It wasn't like Jesus saying, hey man, you guys better get your act together or I'm gonna erase your name. He's not saying that. He's just saying, to him who overcomes, he says, you can have the assurance that your name is never gonna be blotted out. But with that, you know, if Jesus is saying that that their, that their name, you know, could be blotted out, then it's not gonna be blotted out. It means that, you know, that there could be a possibility that a name could be blotted out, right? And so the other side of that, um, you know, it's, it's not that like he's saying, it's not, you better obey or else I'm going to erase your name. You know, but with that, I mean, the question comes up, you know, can someone's name be blotted out? And, and more, I guess, more, more uh, common, you know, is the question that we hear, hey man, can someone lose their salvation? Right? And a lot of people turn to this verse and kind of have, they have huge arguments. There's been a, a theological argument over this for years. And I'm not going to try to solve it in 10 minutes. You know, I'm just going to give you guys my opinion and you guys can make your own informed decision. But, you know, there's this question within like different schools of, of thought in, in Christianity. I think, man, well, can somebody, you know, quote unquote, lose their salvation? Right. Can someone's name be blotted out? Well, first, uh, I, th I think we need to understand that, that God is not up there in heaven with a huge eraser waiting for someone to mess up. I knew it. Erase your name out of the book of life. Sometimes we think that way. Right? Or sometimes people present God as that way that, like, oh man, I gotta be careful because I already messed up too much, man. God's for sure just giving up on me. Right? I came to the Lord a few years ago, but I've been struggling. Man, for sure, He, he erased my name already. That's not so, man. That's not God. That's not who God is. The Bible tells that God desires for none to be lost, for none to perish, but for all to come to salvation. The Bible says that, that, that God so loved the world so much that He gave His only Son to die for the world. Right, so I don't believe that the God would, would sacrifice his own son for the whole world just so he could erase someone's name so easily. Right? And, and when we hear that term of like, or when we hear that phrase, oh man, can I lose my salvation? Or can someone lose their salvation? I think it gives this negative idea, you know, it portrays uh, kind of just this negative, this negative thought of, you know, imagine somebody just struggling their whole life, you know, they give their life to the Lord, but they're struggling, right? And they're just going through a hardship, they're going through hard times. They're struggling with the Lord, you know, they fall, it's like a roller coaster, they're doing good, they're doing bad, they're doing good, they're doing bad, you know, they think they're persevering, and imagine one day they just, they, you know, they, they end up in heaven, they, they pass away, they end up in heaven, and they say, alright God, I'm here, and God says, no, man, you didn't realize that you lost your salvation like five years ago, man, I don't know why you're even trying, that's not God, but sometimes, you know, people, they throw around this phrase, oh, can you lose, can you lose your salvation, and it kind of makes it seem to be like something like this, right, like if salvation is something that we could easily just lose, Salvation is something that, 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 that we can't lose. You know, by definition, we cannot lose it. Uh, John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks and he says there in John 6, 37 and 39. Jesus speaking, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Talking about people. He says, amen. He says, whoever the Father gives me, because they're going to come to me. He says, no matter what. He says, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. I mean, amen. Whoever comes to the Lord, God's not going to reject them. Right? There is no, oh man, well, I, I didn't call you, so you, you can't come to me. No. It says that whoever God calls, meaning everybody, because God calls everybody. He says, whoever, come, whoever comes to me, whoever God calls for me, is I'm not going to reject. And so God, God rejects no one. And he says, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And so Jesus says, amen, all those who come to me, he says, I'm going to 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that, that they make it. Is their, their salvation, their eternity is in my hands. I'm the one who's responsible, right? That's what Jesus is saying. And so when we say, you know, quote unquote, lose, you know, when we say lose, it gives us the idea that that a person is trying but messes up and they they just, you know, lose it. They lose it somewhere along along the way. But no, I mean, I personally believe that if a person is genuinely saved and is walking with the Lord. Um, gracefully and grace not perfectly <laughs> gracefully you know relying on God's grace relying on God's mercy uh, again not in perfection but it, according to God's grace I believe that they have eternal security I do you know but with that I do believe that that a person can forfeit their salvation not that you can lose it salvation is not something that you can lose like uh, you lose your keys or you lose your wallet or you lose your phone it's not something that you know that just so can easily be so mishandled but but I do believe that that salvation, you know, the eternal security can be forfeited. And that somebody could just, you know, just reject it, reject it and forfeit it, you know, or just walk away from the salvation in Christ by forsaking what Jesus done the, has done on the cross and living a life for themselves. We actually uh, ha- have, an, have an example of this. You know, Paul, he, he, as he addresses the Galatians there in Galatians 5, uh, he says this in Galatians 5, 19, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, he, he lists a whole number of things. He says, the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Keep in mind that Paul's addressing Christians here. You know, he's addressing a Christian church. And he says, hey man, if you're calling yourself a Christian and you're actively, consistently, uh, uh, unhinderedly just practicing these things, he says, I would kind of check myself, man. You know, if, if, you're, cons- if you're consistently practicing, practicing these things with no restraint and you call yourself a Christian, he says, I, 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 would, I would really question it. You know, he says, because those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when he says practice, it means... Make a lifestyle out of these things. Get no restraint. That your body says, "Hey, do this." All right. Your body says, "Go over there." All right. You know, your, your carnal desire says, "Hey, man, give into this. Give into that." You're like, "All right, right." You put up no fight. You know, he says, "Hey, man, I, I would watch out." Paul says, and we have an example of somebody actually walking walking away from from their salvation in the Bible. Uh, a, a man by the name of Demas. There in the book of Colossians, as 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 Paul is writing. Uh, this letter to, to, the, to the church there in the city of Colossae. He writes to them, and, you know, at the end of the letter, he's giving his kind of farewell, like, hey, uh, Luke is with me. You know, Luke says, what's up? And so does this guy. So does this guy. This guy says, hi. Oh, hey, uh, say hi to this guy for me. And so Paul there in Colossians 4.14, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, uh, physician and Demas greet you. And so there's this guy named Demas that, that, that's traveling with Paul. You know, he's going on these missionary journeys with them. You know, he's seen all these amazing things that God, that, that God is doing through Paul. You know, all these miracles. And so he's with Paul. You know, he's one of his, his traveling buddies. He's a believer. Then the book of Philemon, Philemon 124, Paul mentions him again. And he says, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas. He says, Luke is my faith, my fellow laborers. You know, hey man, these guys are laboring the gospel with me. And then he tells them this in 2 Timothy 4.10. 2 Timothy is, is Paul's last letter that, that he ever wrote from there from, from Rome before he got beheaded. And he writes to him and he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me. And that's heavy. The same Demas that was with them traveling to all these missionary trips, 
the same demons that was with him there while he was busted, the same demons who saw all these you know, awesome things go on. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly because demons has forsaken me. And then he tells them why. He says, having loved this present world, you know, and he had departed for Thessalonica, uh, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And so Paul saying, hey man, this guy Demas, you forsook me. You know, he got carried away in the things of the world and he just loved the world too much. And so he turned his back. All right. And so we have, it, we have an example of not someone losing their salvation. Demas didn't get lost along the way. He walked away. Right? And so I have, I have an issue when people say, oh man, you can lose your salvation or you can't lose your salvation. Because I have a problem with the word lose. And because again, it's, it, it, it gives a picture of it just something just so loosely that can be lost or tossed around. And, and I definitely believe again that if somebody is genuinely saved, seeking God, walking with the Lord, uh, not perfectly, but gracefully, you know that, man, dude, you're secure, right? God is doing the, the, the work of keeping you, right? But if somebody is proclaiming the name of Christ and yet uh, you know, living for the world, uh, then they have the ability to just reject salvation, to walk away from salvation. God is not going to force someone to spend all of eternity with Him, you know, if they're not willing to seek Him here on earth. And God wouldn't do that. He's not cruel. He's not going to force anybody to love Him. He's not going to force anybody to spend time with Him. He's not going to force anybody to spend all eternity with Him if, you know, if they're not even willing to spend a few hours with Him here on earth, right? And so if a person decides that they love the world and, and the things of this world like demons, Right, and more than a relationship with God, then God's not going to force him to love him. I said it before, and I'll say it again, you know, that, that forced love is considered rape. And God is not a rapist. He's not going to force anybody to love him. That's God, right? He's not that cruel. God has given us all a free will. And our free will is the only thing that God will never violate. And he owns everything in the world. He owns all of creation. But yet, he gives us free will over our own hearts and how we're going to exercise our hearts to and towards and that's the only thing that God will not own, you know, uh, uh, and not violate is, is your own heart and is your own free will. That's the only thing that God asks, hey, man, you want to give it to me? Give it to me. Right? And so that's us because we're here. We say, all right, Lord, you want to take my heart? Lord, have my heart. Lord, I want to exercise my free will to, to worship you, to know you, to serve you. Right? And so our free will is the only thing that God will not violate. Despite how much we may hurt ourselves, uh, but he will do all he can to persuade us into his love. And God would just kind of just woo us into himself. You know, he'd do all these things and show us all these amazing things to kind of woo us to himself. But he's not going to force you. And so we see here that, uh, again, much like this guy, Demas, hey man, he knew the Lord. He saw all these, uh, all these amazing things that God did through Paul and even through him. But he walked away, right? He forsook. Forsook means that he knowingly knew what he was doing and he decided to do it. And so uh, we see that then the Lord tells him, you know, he's, he's addressing the church and he says this. He says, to him who has an ear, let him hear what the, what the Spirit is saying to the churches, right? To him who has an ear, let him hear. This is something that the Lord says to all the, all the churches as he's addressing them. At the end, he says, to him who has an ear, he's like, hey, he's pretty much saying, pay attention, right? He says, if this is, if this is kind of touching a soft spot, he says, pay attention, right? Have your, have your little feelers up. Maybe God is trying to minister to you something. Now, for us, man, it's, it's easy to just drift away from our relationship with the Lord. It's easy. Right? It's, 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 it's easier to just man, go home and right, not think about God, go to work, not think about God, do, go on throughout my day, throughout my week, throughout my month, throughout my year, and not think about God. It's easier than just really pouring and taking the time to invest in a relationship with God. It's easier, right? It's easier for me to just go home, turn on the TV, 
veg out and not think about anything that has to do with God until I come to church. All right, it's easy. The, the difficult thing is, you know, is, is, is just strengthening uh, this relationship with God. And so we might find ourselves at times during a season where we think, man, I feel like everything spiritually in me is dead. You know, I don't, man, I can't hear God no more. I can't feel Him. I, I don't have no desire to read the Word. I read it and I fall asleep or it's just boring. It's like, I got nothing left, right? Again, I love what the Lord told them there in the beginning. He says, hey, strengthen those things that remain, those things that are ready to die, those things that aren't dead yet, but, you know, they're about to die. Just strengthen that, you know, and that reminds me of this little plant that, that Liz used to have, and she makes fun because I used to tell her, you know, I used to, I, I, you, know, you guys know she loves having these little plants, right? And so she had a bunch of them there in our, in our, in our, in our, in our counter at, at the apartment. And there was one that she left out for too long. <laughs> she didn't get mad. She left, she left it out for too long in the sun and it, and it dried up, man. It was just a little stem like this. And I thought, man, that thing's dead. I'm like, it's just a stem. I was like, just a stem, throw it out, man. It's, it's done. That thing's burnt out. And she's like, no, no. She's like, it's, it's still good. Still. I'm like, babe, this thing's just a little dry stem. And so she, she didn't throw out. She kept on watering it and watering it. I'm like, man, that thing's dead. And uh, one day I got home and, and, and there was like a new little like super bright green leaf that had just sprouted on it. I'm like, oh dang, you know, it was alive. No, and I think, man, there was just this much left. There was like almost nothing left. And she strengthened that little, that little stem like this that was all shriveled up and, and dry and dead. You know, and, but in reality, I guess it still had a little bit of, of life in it. You know, and, and the Lord, he's, he's addressing this church. He says, hey man, those little things that remain, that little stem, he says, hey, strengthen that, water that. You know, don't worry about what you're not doing. Don't worry about this, that, the other. He says, when you do have that little bit of strength that you do have, he says, focus on that, right? And so for us, sometimes we find ourselves in these seasons where like, man, I'm just so far. It's like an uphill climb and I'm already tired and there's no way I'll be up there. The Lord says, all right, man, just camp out right here. You know, water what you have right now. Focus on this that you have right now, right? And so if you felt spiritually dead, hey, Jesus conquered death. That's what I love about the Lord. You know, that He can make something out of nothing. He brings life out of death. He makes beauty from ashes. So if you felt spiritually dead or spiritually distant, He resurrected, man. He conquered death. All right? If, if you know, He's the one who, who breathed life into existence, and so He could breathe life into our spiritual life as well, you know, into our, our dead lives. Um, and then He tells me again, just guard against these things, right? And so for us as believers, the encouragement through, through what He wrote to this church and what He said to this church is to guard against the spiritual complacency. Allow God to just continually do a new work in you, you know, through His Holy Spirit. That's what He wants. And, and, and that, that takes us to saying, all right, Lord, I'm willing. Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm open. Lord, just do it. Just have your way with me. Right? There's this, there's this parable in the New Testament you know, where Jesus says, you know, He's given the parable of the old and the new wineskins. Some of you guys have heard it. And so back in the day, they used to, they didn't have... Uh, plastic bottles like this, right? But they would have uh, these, these, these wine skins uh, and they were made out of leather. And so they would put wine in, the, in, these, in these new leather wine skins. They were like little uh, canteens. And they would put leather, they would put wine to these canteens and it had to be, it had to be a, a, a new canteen though. It had to be a fresh new leather canteen because as soon as they put the wine in, it was going to expand. And so if it was an old canteen, they would put new wine into the old canteen and they would expand so much and, and the leather was already expanded, they couldn't stretch anymore, so it would just burst. Right? And so they had all these canteens that were just bursting because they were old leather. And so Jesus said, hey, you can't put new wine into an old wineskin. You've got to put new wine into a new wineskin. And he was referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's like, hey man, desire to be that, just that, 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 that new wineskin, you know, that, that God's desiring to do a new thing in our lives. 
right? That Wednesday when we went out, I'll be honest, you know, I'm like, Lord, I keep on saying that even if no one shows up, but really I'm scared that no one will show up. And God's like, it's all right, man. Someone's going to show up. I'm like, all right, Lord, because all these people are coming out. And, you know, even though I, you know, I, I keep on saying, Lord, even if we just fellowship and that's it. I, there's something in me that's like, man, what if really no one really shows up and we just end up right there eating all the snacks ourselves. I'm like, I'm like Lord, <laughs> right? I think about these things. I'm like going crazy. And God says, hey, man, just step out. Do it by faith. I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm thinking about all these other things. Like, Lord, no one else is doing this. Lord, everyone else is having church on a Wednesday night. Lord, no one goes out there on a Wednesday night when you're supposed to do church service and does an outreach. Am I crazy? Lord's like, hey, no, you're just, you're, you're new wineskin, right? And we've got to be open to these new things that God is doing in our lives. And sometimes it takes breaking, you know, before the Lord can do something new. Because we don't realize that we just get stuck in our old ways. And God has to break us of our old ways. And that comes in different forms. Sometimes it comes through suffering. Sometimes it comes through just being uncomfortable. Sometimes it comes through just stepping out and doing something new that we've never done. But God is always desiring to break that old mold. Why? Because He wants to do something new in us. And he doesn't want us to get stuck in that old mold. Sometimes it hurts for the moment. Right? But what we get out of it is so much better than... Than the pain we feel for the, for those moments, right? It's like you get to look back and you're like, man, Lord, that was all worth it, right? I was tripping out over this, over that, or the other, man. But now, after it's all said and done, Lord, it was worth it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And so, my encouragement to all of us, myself first, and say, don't get complacent. You know, just allow the Lord to do His new work, even if it hurts. You know, even the Lord is kind of just doing ah, this. You know, like man, it hurts when the Lord does this, but He's trying to just dry us and trying to, he's trying to drain us of ourselves why so you could just pour out his holy spirit afresh on us and that's my prayer for us this morning